Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Zar. What's up, Mike? Hey, Chet. What's Let's up? just pretend like we haven't been talking for a half an hour. <laughs> okay. That's what we always do. Yeah. We're pretty good at that, I think, by now. Oh, there goes, well, my there phone. goes your phone. Yeah. Is that about the printer? No. It's just I, I can't figure a good way to set reminders on my calendar mm. to remind me. I need something on my calendar that sends me a notification like an alarm. So I, I just always make my I make a series of alarms for things I have to do. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so my phone yeah, well, is constantly that's, that's going good, out. That's what we call good time management right there. I'm trying. I'm trying. Because I, I have the crazy weird thing in my head where I can set the internal All time. Right. It's pretty, it's great. Actually, you know, it's funny how much I take that for granted. I guess we recently talked about yeah. synesthesia, but it's, I take it for granted. And even the other day, actually just last night, I was barbecuing. And Joy was sitting out there with me and she was talking about how much she likes my barbecue and she how she wants to learn how to barbecue better. And she was like, well, it's easy for you. She was like, you know, you just like can feel when it's time to go and turn the food. Right. She's like, I'd, I'd have to set a timer like for yeah. every stage in the process, you know, and I'm like, oh, yeah, right. I forget, you know. Oh, speaking of um, <clears throat> neurodiversity, mm-hmm. remember that that uh, that. Uh, uh, documentary i was telling you about called dina yes the most recent one i watched about this uh uh couple with high functioning autism couple Mm -hmm. couple it's on hulu ah so you could probably watch it but it'll have commercials in it it's really good it's really one of the best kind of asperger autism uh, documentaries i've seen i've never used hulu before yeah i think i think you can watch stuff but it has commercials on it unless you have a subscription Ah. but anyway I just wanted to let well, you that's know that. Cool. I think we might even have that on the PlayStation out there. So that'd oh, cool. be cool. I, I'm sure Joy would enjoy it. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. She's She's got to see it. You would like it, too. And cool. you got to see that Gary Shandling documentary sometime. Some At some point, I'm telling you. Because it, it's funny because I, I watched it. Remember I was talking in the last episode mm-hmm. about it? Yeah. And you were saying you, you would hate, you didn't sound like something you'd be interested in. <laughs> it's called. That's, what, that's how I respond to most of the things you suggest. <laughs> It's called Zen, Zen, the Zen of Gary Shandling or something like that. And, and it's, it's, I didn't mention that so much of it is about Zen philosophy. It's very super spiritual kind of documentary. It's really good. Well, cool. But but I started well, like watching, that's... re-watching the whole Gary Shandling show. I was telling you about the, about the fake talk show and it's so good. I, you really need to see that show. It's amazing. Because there's like a, a Michael Scott type guy in there. Like oh, year, yeah. years before Michael Scott, yeah, it's played by uh, Jeffrey Tambor. He's he's like the Ed McMahon sidekick guy, and he's just like such such an idiot. Just in the same way Michael Scott is, you'll totally love it. Yeah, super smart show. Anyway, that's cool. Well, yeah. I haven't been watching anything interesting because we're stuck with Netflix, and there's nothing going on on Netflix right now. That's oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah I, thought, I I we watched Big last night. I haven't seen that since oh, I was like same age as the kid that's in the movie. <laughs> you know I mean? Yeah, is that in the 80s or the 90s? Yeah, it was the early 80s. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Was it good? Yeah, it was a trip. 
Oh, uh, we didn't finish it actually because we were both so burnt out. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it was a busy weekend. Crazy, crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Are y'all caught up? No. <laughs> Wish. <laughs> but more caught up than I was. And yeah. definitely got, you know, the first line of irrigation going here on the property, the flooding, which is so fundamentally important. Yeah. That's well, just good. so much work, you know. I mean, oh, we were man. on, on yeah. Saturday, we were both out there for 10 hours. Yeah. You know, just irrigating the whole time. And that was followed, you know, pre- preceded by an entire week of digging all those ditches out. And you can't blow you know, it off because the water is coming at a point and you have to be ready for it, right? You're only going to get it for so long. Yeah. And and it's, you know, you never know. And we're, it's not like we had, there's a lot of water here. So when you get it, that's your window. Right. And you got ready for it. And the thing is, otherwise, it's just going to go right on by your house and you'll never get it, you know, but we happen, as you know, from being here, we live way down off the road and most right. of the other places aren't. So to get the water just to our property is a huge task. Cause you have to have this channel that's just made out of dirt. So you would like rake in a shovel and you're out there, right. you know, you got to make a channel that's going to bring water. What? three, like six and a half acres all the way from the road down here just to get it to the point where then you can use it. Right. <laughs> you know? And, you know, so yeah, it's quite the ordeal. Yeah. And Joy was actually able to help me quite a bit this year and did a bunch of work on it. And uh, cool. she's been doing a lot better physically and was out there jamming. So yeah, So, but it's just, you know, hours and hours of just backbreaking. Yeah you know so but it's really gratifying once you do get a flood because you get the water down there you got all your channels you got all your gates and then the water starts pouring out you just go around and i got these muck boots now from hunting this last year that i can walk through the muddy water in you know with a rake and just rake the ground to keep the water moving all right just floods green acres is a place to be the youngest she got her first taste of gopher because a gopher got drowned out of a hole and we didn't know it. it was dark and she was in the yard and we saw her kind of hovering all the dogs hovering and we went and looked and she got this gopher uh, so we had to call them off and they came off because they're well trained you know went inside and then i went out and looked at it and she got her first taste of bite the gopher head she's a rat terrier breed so it's right. probably really gratifying for yeah. her she's probably like, like oh, i found my ever happened i found know? my purpose in life exactly there's <laughs> <laughs> a hole in the ground that an animal Vermin. <laughs> how great is that yeah but yeah, yeah, so that was a lot. And then I've just been busting my ass all, all weekend working on that Twilight Hotel and Rubberhead and right. everything else. The wards and emails from Infinity and yeah. Patreons and yeah, just busy, busy, busy. Well, my life came to a complete stop on Wednesday when I got this stomach, whatever it was, food poisoning or flu or whatever. But man, it, as we talked about a few minutes ago on the pre-roll, I got super sick for Two days straight, my stomach, I was in so much pain. It was a, a nightmare. It was terrible. It was it was like when I got food poisoning in China, except, which is the worst food poisoning Lisa and I ever got, except without the massive headache. That included a headache that every time you puked, it felt like you were having a brain aneurysm. So, oh, that sounds terrible. Dude. So it was not quite that bad, but it was bad, man. It was bad. And it, that just, you know, screwed me up all week and I'm supposed to be getting ready for Monster Palooza this weekend and getting prints ready and you know I'm so behind and today's the first day I'm really able to you know get some work done so yeah so I'm glad I'm feeling better though thank god what a nightmare yeah terrible terrible well I'm glad you're feeling better too because you were like out of the loop and I couldn't even get on I couldn't get on and even make posts on Facebook or anything I just was like I know I had to just 
the first two days I was in bed, you know, cold sweats and sweating and then getting too hot. And then, oh, I was puking every, or dry heaving every 15, 20 minutes for, you know, 48 hours. And then, you know, once each day I'd get a break of maybe four hours where I could sleep. And then other than that, it was just terrible pain. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but I'm so thankful it's over. God. Anyway, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm back to it now, and and I guess we're doing a Q and A episode, yes. and we've got all the questions queued was, up. The other thing is, you know, we wanted to have a. There was a guest we wanted to get on, and I was supposed to have contacted her last week, but I got so sick, I just everything fell through the cracks. So um, by the time I contacted her, she she wouldn't have been able to do it anyway. But um, we'll get her on, Stephanie Vega. She's amazing. We'll yeah, get her on, we'll get yeah. her on again. She's a great sculptor. So we're going to do Q&A. Yeah, we haven't done Q&A Q &A in a while. Yeah, so. it's perfect time for a Q&A. I think so. All so. right, well, let's let's just get rocking. I've got them all screenshot here. So if you had a question that came after the screenshots, I, I'm sorry about that. Um, but we'll go through and I'll read names and I'll do the best I can to pronounce these names correctly. Actually, my computer's working so much better now as a sideline. I, uh, I, I dumped so much. I dumped all the ILTPM stuff. Like right. entirely because uh, I have it all an analog, you know, so yeah, I went yeah. through and dumped it all. And oh, my God, it's like I, I didn't know my computer could work this well. Makes oh, me nice. so happy. <laughs> yeah. yeah I love that. OK, so let's start with Michael R. Miller. OK, what's up, Mike? <clears throat> what are the best online options to sell merchandise when you don't have enough time to ship and print yourself? Basically, I will be working full time and won't be able to create art, print and ship. Originals would be a different story, but I am talking about shirts, prints and others. Well, from what I, I don't do it that way, so I'm not an expert, but I do know that, uh, I think Josh Geyser, I don't know if he still does it, but he, he worked for Redbubble, which is a place that does shirts and I think prints and stuff. Um, they do all the printing and shipping and I know, I've heard their shirts are really good quality and the print quality is really good. So I would look into Redbubble and, cool. and, uh, there's another one that I, that I, I somehow got on this mailing list and I've looked into it but I haven't done it myself because like um, like uh, I said it's I don't I don't do it this way so I haven't put a lot of time into it looking into it but it's called artstorefronts.com and it's basically made to sell artwork and so it you it's like a it's kind of like a uh, 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 what's that? Uh, square a Squarespace type drag and drop mm, okay. web builder that has um, sales options for all of your artwork, and it gives you like, you know, gives you all these options. Like you could have it printed on canvas, paper, different types of paper, aluminum, all this, all these options, and um, different sizes. So you can just upload your image, and then they do, you know all the different whatever size you have on there people can order different sizes and materials and everything and they ship it and everything so that's really cool yeah so i it looks like the best option i think for um for uh, an art for artists so i would look into that artstorefronts.com that that's is a great idea yeah and if i wasn't doing it the way i'm doing it now i probably would be doing it this way 
Yeah, I'm <clears throat> I'm in the same boat as you ultimately. I mean, with the stuff that I well, at least I'm not I haven't been printing lately, but when I was printing, I was doing all my own printing and mm. shipping from home, so. I'm too much of a control freak, so I'm the thing is, you, you know, you have to send your image and then maybe have a sample printed out and then make sure that that it looks good and then, you know, and if it's not, you have to adjust it and then re-upload it. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, you have to proof totally. it and that'll take a while. Yeah. Otherwise, you're just putting it up and it could look like anything. Yeah. So anyway. Well, that's good. That's a good yeah. answer. I never, I, I didn't know anything about that. Yeah. It's All cool. right. We got uh, Jacob Baker here. What music do you listen to as inspiration during the creating process? Well, for me, I ha I ha still am on documentaries, you know, and TV shows that I like mm -hmm. while I'm painting. But, um, you know, I still do listen to music sometimes. And for me, it's not a matter of a certain type of music makes me feel creative toward like, it's not like oh, I'm doing a dark painting. I'm going to put on some dark, evil sounding <laughs> music. <laughs> so it's, it's more like for me and I get, a, a, I get more inspiration from music probably than I do from visual art for my to stir my creative thing for whatever reason I just love music so much so it's more about listening to music that I really like that I know I like you know that I've listened to for years and I can count on it you know because you know the songs um I don't necessarily put new music on when I'm painting because when I listen to music I when I'm into something, music, and I listen to it, I'll sit down, not that I have the time these days, but ideally I sit down and totally listen to the music if it's something I'm into and, and really listen to it and rewind and try and figure out the lyrics and figure out how they're doing this. I really dissect music when I listen to it, when I'm really into it. So for me, it's more, you know, I'll listen to, you know, anything from shitty 70s pop music that I grew up with. You know, like the Carpenters or something, just because it's, you know, that weird nostalgic factor or, uh, you know, stuff, just classic stuff like Devo or Led Zeppelin or it's just music I like. As long as it's something I really like, that, that inspires me to paint anything. And it's more like I just need a little spark of inspiration from something that I think is great art or great music rather than a specific type, you know? I don't know. Mm -hmm. what's, it, what's it like mm -hmm. for you? Well, I mean, it depends on what I'm creating. Because for me, so I do a lot of. So it changes based on what you're. You're you listen to different music for different types of creating. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, because I can't like when I'm writing, I can't have lyrics in the music. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess I. I guess That's if true like you said, too. if it's like if it's music that. I'm familiar with and I already know the lyrics so it's just kind of washes away I don't really think about them then maybe it would it works but really I just like to listen to instrumental type music while I'm writing and when I say instrumental I'm not necessarily talking classical although I do like classical but more like you know electronic type music right. you know I like the glitch mob a lot stuff like that things that you know, you're not going to really get hooked on any lyrics. And so it allows you to just kind of flow with the music. And I, I like that, but I listen to a lot of Pandora. And so, you know, I'll have Pandora channels that I'll listen to and, and, and I'm liking and not liking certain things. So it'll just get into a flow of like, right. Stuff you know, like. I get a lot, I get a lot of shit from joy actually about liking a breathy female, uh, electronic music. <laughs> and, uh, so maybe that's like something that I like, but again, if, 
if I'm doing like wards, if I'm doing sculpture, if I'm doing painting, any of that kind of stuff, drawing, then I could listen to anything under those circumstances. And I don't have a preference. You know, I'm not like, oh, I'm going to sit down and, and listen to some Tool or some Cradle of Filth or some Radiohead or, or some Devil Makes 3. I don't necessarily base that on what I'm doing, but I could listen to anything while I'm creating. And the reality is for me, I'm always listening to music, period. Mm -hmm. Like when I come in here, I sit down, these go on my ears and I plug into the computer to work and there's music playing continuously for the duration of the time I'm here. Oh, wow. So that's how much music I consume. It's like I nonstop, basically. Uh. If we're out in the living room and we're hanging out together and we're not watching like a show for dinner or whatever, there's pandora playing on a speaker out there i like music all the time yeah, like i'm a background big music freak yeah. always you know that's my thing yeah me too i i i you know i feel bad at music has so has lost its value due to you know pirating and just the way the music industry has changed and it's really a shame because music is so amazing and so important and you know if i wasn't doing visual art i would be doing music for sure i mean i love music I, you know, probably as much as I do visual art, but I'm better at visual art. It's more, I'm more suited to that. It's more where my natural tendency lies. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's kind of a bummer that, that music doesn't have the, the, that hold in the marketplace that it used to Yeah, for the musicians anyway, you know, and it seems like there's music is so, so much music is shitty nowadays. And I think that's kind of, a reflection of how it's not you know you can't make the same kind of money so you're just not attracting i don't know i mean i listened a lot of the music that i listen to that i when i'm like i look over like what is this track i'm listening to by whomever you know what i mean mm -hmm. it's it a lot of it is newer music you know well, maybe a lot that, of the mu maybe it's i think it's rock kind of music i think rock music's really I bad. would agree with that. There's no doubt. I, I There's no really new rock music that I could care about right now. That, that's true. I'm with you. I, yeah, I, there's the no 90s, doubt. man. There were so yeah. many great totally. heavy bands. So many great bands, yeah. But like, I still, but what I'm saying is, is for me, I, you know, there's still so much good music that's being produced that I enjoy just as much, if not more than those other genres of music that I'm not too bummed. And right. since I listen to Pandora, I'm always being exposed to kind of new stuff. And so it keeps me kind of pressure with, you know, what's happening. Cause I do like to listen to new stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm like, I like the old stuff. I like to go back to the, you know, when I go on a car ride, I want to listen to stuff I'm familiar with that I can sing along with. Cause I like to sing, right, you right. know, but if I'm in here working, I want to, I like to listen to new stuff. I like to listen, especially beats. I like beats, you know? Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, I, I know you're like that and I'm, I wish I was more like that, but I'm, I'm really like a, creature of habit when it comes to music like it's for me to get into something new i'm not the kind of person that oh, i'll just put put this music on and listen to it while i'm painting just and, you know mm -hmm. even though i might not like it just to check it out i'm more like i, I gotta know it's good I, I only want something good that i you know it's just like food you <laughs> well, that's know? How, i always want I mean, the same thing with, over and over not if be you disappointed don't like it on pandora you just do thumb down and it skips to the next track yeah, you know yeah. but see, you're painting again and that's not like conducive i'm sitting here most of the time in a space where i could just skip a track mm. no problem you know and so then you're like you know you're building it so you're telling it i like all this stuff and i don't like right. this stuff yeah, so it's, it's more likely to play related stuff you know yeah. okay anyway. but yeah okay moving on we should move on uh eric tengren how do you deal with the with art egos in the industry and does it diminish their art to you when you find out that they are assholes that's a good question 
It is a good question. Even <laughs> even Bobby Ford came in and said, "Great question, before it are." I you know personally, it 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 does diminish the artwork. Um, it's it's not well. It's not that it diminishes the artwork. It's like I can't. There's some block. Like I can't fully embrace that artist if I know they're an asshole. You know. <laughs> um, but I'll still give them props for being great because I there are some out there I know of that are kind of assholes that are really great but um I will always respect the the artwork um but I have I do have a hard time separating the two mm-hmm. you know but on on the other hand you know I still I really do love Roman Polanski as a director and Woody Allen movies and those dudes are both pretty fucked up and did pr- pretty fucked up things um, so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe if you, it, maybe it depends how long you've been enjoying their work before you find out they're all they're assholes. <laughs> it makes a difference. Sure. Or maybe how close you are to them, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But you're not close to those guys at all. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. So it's easier to, you know, look, yeah, you know, look it's not like that stuff off. Yeah. It's not like someone who you're affiliated with right. who's done these shitty yeah, things. Yeah, and but, yeah, they've created a good art. Right, right, right. Exactly. Because I think that line is different. Because I agree with you. I'm kind of the same way. It's like, it's really case by case. I couldn't really mm-hmm. blanket generalize. It's like sometimes it, people uh, with their ego and their bullshit will rub me the wrong way in such a manner that I can't like what they do. Right. It's true. Right. And then there are times where I'm able to be like, yeah, yeah no, whatever, who yeah. cares? Yeah, you know right. what I mean? It is a case by case thing. And as far as dealing with the egos, you know, I'm assuming you mean dealing with them in person or at shows or I, you know, people that have ego issues like that, I just kind of, steer clear of them you know i don't know if there's any other way it's i don't feel like it's my job to confront them about it or you know it's it's their issue so i just you know i just don't um interact with them as much you know basically i just try and i just it's more because i just don't want Assholes, the least amount of assholes in my life is what I'm shooting for. Totally. You know? Yeah. And that's, I, I deal with it the same way energetically because it's like, I don't deal with people in the world like you do, which is to say that, I mean, I, every once in a while, maybe once a year, I'm at an art show, you know, but mostly <laughs> I'm by myself. So my exposure to art egos is telephone, email, social media. You know, that's right. my exposure to it. And I, again, I deal with it on a case by case situation. There are people who I will absolutely just be like, you know what? Screw this person and just block them because I just don't even want to see it. I, I like don't even want right. to be exposed to them. I want no affiliation with them. Nothing, nada, you know. And then there are other people that I could put up with it, you know, right. because and I think it does depend on the the level of their obnoxiousness and or depravity versus the, their level of passion and creative works. You right. know what I mean? And it's there's a balancing act there, you know, and if it teeters too far in one direction or the other, that's kind of the determining factor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's definitely some, you know, really fucked up, amazing dark artists out there that it's yep. it's like, you know, I, it's just hard to hard to get behind them, and you want to, you know, bring them into the fold and have them be part of the whole dark art movement. And at the same time, it's like I don't want anything to do with this person. Yes, you know. But anyway, okay, we should go. Okay, on. J.R. Brocious. And hey, I hope you're feeling better, brother. He was there's a picture of him not doing well today oh. in the hospital. Oh, no. So we're set, we're sending you our energy. I hope you're out by the time you hear this. Yes. Uh, hope, hope what was your happiest better. moment doing art? 
Ah, uh, that's a that's a pretty good question. I can't think of one one that stands out off the top of my head. I will say that anytime I'm doing a painting that is clicking and and easy and feels effortless and it's not a struggle are my best times with art because, you know, sometimes it's really difficult. The result ends up usually being the same, but sometimes a painting is just really like a difficult childbirth the whole whole way through and then other other times it just comes out really easily. You know, like the rubberhead paintings really was pretty effortless and um mm-hmm. Uh, the Twilight Hotel painting is going pretty well, but it's giving me a little more trouble. Um, there's more going on. There's a greater composition yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, there's other time factors and stuff or, or, or the pressure starting to get to me a little bit. But, um, yeah, I can't think of one amazing time, really. I would just have to mm-hmm. give a broad, you know answer like that whenever just, just like, I love art I just any any anytime I'm painting and it's going well and I feel like I know what I'm doing it's like ah oh, this makes it all worth it all the struggle you yeah, know? yeah. <laughs> well I can't think of I can't say this is my happiest moment but when I read the question and then I was listening to you respond I thought to myself well what, what would I say to that I think that I have the, the first thought that came to my mind was when I was pretty young I want to say I was maybe like 14 or so. And I remember I was at my parents' house and I had collected all this stuff. I'd collected all these shotgun shells and like from a shooting range and Mm -hmm. like all these little, like the brass, you know, from all the different cartridges. And I had collected all these bottle caps and all these pop tabs and just all this stuff. And I had found this wooden, like it was like a frame that originally there had been like little baby plants in and I had like taken it and all the stuff. And I went out in the garage, my parents' garage with a hammer and these nails and just set to work nailing all this stuff onto this wooden frame thing that I'd made. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, color coordinated based on the caliber and like doing this, you know, create this whole kind of assemblage mosaic. And I remember that being a really signature moment of feeling really free as an artist, as Mm -hmm. a young person and being like, like, wow, I just did something that like was just my thing, you know, right. like it wasn't like anybody else's thing. It wasn't like inspired by anything specifically. It was just something that I, and I, and I enjoyed it. I had like a really good time doing it. Right. It was like, Ooh, this is like a drug, you yeah. know? <laughs> and I mean, I can't say that was my happiest moment, but that was the first thing that popped to my mind anyway. Right. That's a good one. I, I will add real quickly to that. That makes me think of a time when I was nine or maybe even younger where I finally, I, I think I've talked about this before where I figured out shading by, by drawing little lines to make things look round. And I was like, Oh, Eureka, I figured this out. You know, so. you showed me a picture one time out of your art collection. That was when you figured out how to do reflections, like, the, like Chrome, oh, right, and you were yeah. like, all these versions of Chrome. You like cracked <laughs> yeah. the Chrome code. You know? I started making all this Chrome stuff. <laughs> yeah. You're like, this is Chrome. That's Chrome. <laughs> I can do all Chrome. Right. Dan Fisher, do you ever find working in multiple layers, parentheses, glazes, it seems like the paint underneath starts deteriorating, almost like dissolving or thinning in spots where it may have been thick and the canvas will start to show. And then in parentheses, he says, using liquid for glazes on top of weak, dry, old paint. Yeah, I read that actually, and I have never had that happen before. And I'm just, I tried to think of what could be the problem. I I mean, I personally, I wouldn't be glazing 
over such a, a painting that was so thin that it would be worn away that easily. Um, used to, the way I do it is I'll do the underpainting. Uh, as I just posted on my first tutorial on my Patreon, I kind of go through the process of, of setting up a painting. Um, I'll do a, you know, one of the, maybe like an umber underpainting with just thinner and then paint straight paint and liquid opaquely to build up the basic forms. And then I, you know, glazing, glazing usually doesn't come till, you know, the last three quarters of the painting. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there is solvent in liquid. I just can't imagine. I wonder if the paints are cheap that you're using, maybe like student grade paints that might have something mm-hmm. to do with it. Cause they have less pigment in them, but once it's dry, there's, you know, solvent from from liquid shouldn't be lifting it up lifting the paint up so I, I really don't know the answer to that well all right then i i certainly don't <laughs> <laughs> josh clark what are some ins and outs of running a booth at monster palooza uh let's see i would say having a wide one thing is having a wide range of prices having really cheap stuff all the way up to expensive stuff and everything in between just to have give people the most options. Uh, I make I, I make make it easy to buy things like I, I use a square thing to take credit card payments because if I couldn't take credit card payments, I would miss I would lose out on, you know, sometimes the whole show. That's all I get is credit card payments. Uh-huh. Some people don't have cash, so you're really limiting yourself. So um and it just it just hooks up to your phone. It's totally worth it. Square.com. I have one in a package that I never opened because <laughs> I don't ever go anywhere. But you know, when I got the Square thing, I, I they sent you the little thing. Right. I just have it's still not not even open. <laughs> well, by by now they they've advanced to another card reader for uh, chip chipped cards that you have uh, to pay okay. for now because that one that sliding one doesn't work that much anymore because of the chipped cards and you have to spend. I think it's kind of expensive like 80 bucks or something mm. but it reads hustle, chip hustle. cards but um you know you could even manually type the, the card numbers in so make it you know make it easy for people to buy have a wide range of prices i like to set my booth up to where people can walk into the booth rather than have a table uh, across the front because you know if you bring it if people come into your booth they're more likely to look around and get get up close and then you can talk to them and um it's it's important to talk to people when they come in and start a conversation because you know that's salesmanship you want to connect with the 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 buyer i've seen people and you know i've been guilty of this myself when i'm just too exhausted they just kind of sit there and don't acknowledge people that are coming in but you really should be yeah, I mean, my my wife who helps me run the booth, she's like, you know, you should be standing up and ready to, uh, you know, talk to people and interact and show them things. And, you know, because a lot of making sales is is not so much selling people and bullshitting them as much as letting them know why this thing is so cool that they maybe just looked at and thought, oh, I like this. And then you go, hey, the story behind this is really interesting. And you're letting them know the whole story and they might make them more likely to buy it, you know, so. Well, and I think what you're talking about really is welcoming somebody. Yeah, because absolutely. Make it the a thing connection. is, just like for me, 
I don't like to go into large spaces with lots of people. I don't. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of the people that go to these kinds of shows, they may not either. They just really like monsters, but they might like monsters at their home by themselves. So when they go to an event like this, they may be like me and be actually kind of like not really into being around all these people and feel a little alienated even. So the reality is, is if you welcome them in, even like you said, setting your booth up so that they can come into it, they're going to come away with this sense of like when they go, they're like, oh, I'm not just, you know, this person actually wants to talk to me and hang out with me. And then right. all of a sudden it might even change the experience for them for the whole entire thing, you know, because right, it just right. takes one person sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I would also say uh, having a big showpiece is a good idea, something to get pe- people's attention to get into your booth. So if you have one amazing piece that you're probably not going to sell. I mean, when I think of the Monster Palooza shows, I'll, I always remember these amazing big pieces that people have, you know, mm-hmm. that really stand out. So that's always good, even if it's worth investing and putting the money in in the time into something that is going to uh, bring people in, even though you're probably not going to sell it, you know, if it's like a $10,000 piece or something, it's still worth, worth it for the, uh, you know, the, that, that factor of the attention factor. Mm -hmm. So, you know, be cool to people. Um, Yeah. Don't be an asshole, I guess. Also, those are some good tips. There you go. All right, Ben Walling, a question for both of you. How have entheogens or other psychoactive substances inspired or impacted your work? Well, I would say, you know, it's funny because I remember when Gabe Leonard, when we were going out to Paradise Retreat and he had never done any kind of entheogens before and he Mm -hmm. was kind of asking about it. And it's funny because we didn't even know each other that well at that point, but he invited me to drive out with him. And, uh, I mean, we knew each other, but we hadn't really kind of gotten that close. And he was saying, how, how has it changed your artwork? I was, cause he knew that I had done them. And, um, I told him, I don't feel like it really changed my artwork as much as it changed me as a person. It really more affected me spiritually rather than creatively, artistically in a way. Um, I, I tried creating art on entheogens and psychedelics before and, you know, it's always, you don't have any hand-eye coordination. I don't anyway. So it never came out good. It was always just like a bunch of jumbled junk. But um, it was, it's more, for me, it was more deep insights and personal development rather than artistic development. Which I'm sure, mm-hmm. you know, your artistic development does come from, as also comes from your personal development. But so it may have, you know, affected it that way. But I don't feel like my artwork has changed because of it, really. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it has an indirect effect, but right. it doesn't have, for you anyway, a direct effect. I mean, the, the, yeah, indirectly, I would say, it, you know, it, it helped me to know myself better and be a more full being you know and become more spiritually connected and however that translates into artwork who knows you know because art so much of i think good artwork is about expressing uh yourself in a truthful manner and so if you're more connected to your true self you're going to have more clear visions of the truth so maybe that way i don't know what about you 
I don't know. I don't think that I could say it any better than you did. I mean, I don't, you know, I'm not one of those people that could say that I tripped and then it changed me. I mean, you know, I, I've, I do know I've some been, though that have, I know yeah, some artists that have. Absolutely. I mean, Gabe was one of them, but for me, it's like, and we talked about that when he was on the show, you know, but for me, I mean, I started, you know, utilizing those medicines when I was pretty young. And so, and I've been doing art my whole life since I was a little kid. I couldn't see any fundamental change in my artwork. But what I can say is, is that sometimes the spark of creativity yeah. will be motivated by an experience. Like you had your ego death, which we've talked about on right. here, where you like, oh, I'm going to trip and I'm going to see if I can find out what my next show should be. Mm-hmm. I would say that that has inspired and impacted your work, right? Right. I mean, right, it right. doesn't, it didn't directly inspire the production of those paintings, but it certainly inspired the notion. And yeah, so for that's me, true. I would say that's that true. I get that, you know, and I would even put, you know, uh, put herb in this category too, where it's like, there is an entheogenic quality to it mm-hmm. for sure. And, and the reality is, is that for me, I get, you know, these, these moments of clarity, or as you said, truth and insight. And sometimes these creative sparks where you'll think of something that it was so just right there for the plucking that you never thought of before, mm-hmm. just some brilliant little notion, you know? And so that, that really is how I have found it to be effective aside from the ways that you described it, because I thought that was very well worded and that's, and I feel very much akin to that, you know, that mm-hmm. it, it has affected there isn't a way in which those my experiences with those substances haven't affected my spirituality and my being and my energy and my consciousness and all of those things. Right. You know what I mean? So it would be hard to differentiate that from anything else that I do. But I can think of specific moments where I had specific, like, really good ideas. Right. Where I was like, Oh, now that is, you know, and that, and whether or not those have directly translated to my artwork, I can't think of a specific time where I could say, I did this because of that. Like right. I can't with dreams, you know, right, right. but dreaming for me is not that it's far not apart that different. Yeah, that either. Exactly. So it's, it's hard to, you know, that's, separate the wheat from the chaff. That's what I was going to say too, is that I, you know, I, I always tell my black magic story to where this image just popped in my head and it was a finished image and I wasn't on anything. It was just a regular day. And, uh, I, but I've had that experience on psychedelics where I've seen a finished painting. Like I don't, I posted this weird devil I did that I never finished on my Patreon, um, that I want to get back to. It's kind of weird, but it's cool. But that same thing, it just popped in my head like a finished painting. So I could say, you know, here and there I can, uh, pick instances, but, uh, other than that, and there was another well, one, another thing too, real quick is that there was this painting called fetish from the ego death show. And mm-hmm. I remember I took mushrooms and I was looking at all my paintings and that fetish painting. Um, I was, it, something was not right about it. And then I tripped and I was looking at it and it was like, Oh, it's, I think I may have mentioned this before, but it was just like, Oh, I see totally it's just this one line on the side of the head is not even Mm -hmm. and it was so clear and i was looking at that thing prior in my regular consciousness that uh sorry um it was just like how could i have missed that it was so in in your face and that changed the whole thing could you hold on one second yeah yeah okay i'll just i'll tell my story hello um what was my story? I can't remember. Oh yeah. Well, my experience, you know, I went out, I, I've mentioned this to you guys before. I went out to uh, visit Chet last year for a dystopia trip because we try to do one trip a year and, and 
connect and really grind through some of the things that need grinding through. And we're, we're through all that now, actually. And I believe that the final draft that I sent him, he has now sent off to the designer. But at any rate, when I went out there, I had my first experience with DMT and that was with Chet. And it was, you know, a fundamental uh, mind changing, mind bending, consciousness changing experience. I'm telling that the, that I, when I came out and had DMT with you and, uh, and, right. and the thing that came from that though was to whatever degree was Mysterian. That's the right. thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, even though it didn't directly come from it, I wasn't like, I didn't have a vision on that. That's what led to that. But it was absolutely the very next thing that I did of any level of grandiosity. You know what I mean? And it was, there's no doubt to me that coming, going through that experience had a direct bearing over the dawning of realization on how to manifest that creation. Right, so, yeah. so I, you know, the more I think about it, the more I start to kind of see these correlations. That's kind of the hard thing about Q and A's. You don't really like, I didn't read these in advance because I've been right. too busy. So now I'm like, oh yeah, duh. So Mysterian, <laughs> I would say was directly impacted by that DMT experience. Right. Yeah, definitely. So, okay. Anyway. Okay. Moving on. Uh, this is, a, I like this one. This is fun. Uh, this is B Ford art, which is Bobby Ford. Uh, what will be your weapon of choice in the zombie apocalypse? Oh, that is a good question. Um, well, assuming that ammunition isn't an issue, I would definitely, I think, you know, some kind of machine gun would be good. Um, I, I, you know, I th say as far as the zombie apocalypse, it's it's all about guns. So, um, you know, it would have to be some kind of gun. That's 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 all I can say. <laughs> well, I would love to. I mean, I I would love to think that guns would be possible, but I I just feel like. You know, getting ammunition in that kind of an apocalyptic situation yeah. would be questionable because the reality is, is there's only so many Walmarts with so much ammunition on stock to, to raid. Right. You know what I mean? And then, you know, above and beyond that, how are you going to get these huge loads of ammunition? You know, I mean, if you're going to try to take it from somebody else who's already got it, well, they're going to shoot you. So, you know, the reality is I would be concerned about ammo. Now, if, you know, if we taking that into account i have a zombie axe actually it's amazing and that's what i would use i already have it and what it is is it's a, it's an axe that actually was billed as a zombie killing axe amazingly enough out of out of a, a like a, a sporting good uh company called cabela's that that i got a christmas gift card out of from my parents uh, and so i bought this zombie axe and the reason i got it was because it has a plastic handle that's like high density plastic that like won't break right. and it's you could throw this axe it's a amazing and so on one end it's got like you know like a old school kind of like blade like right. that's like curved almost like the kind that would chop people's heads off in medieval days yeah. but then on the back of it it has this point this like huge like blade double bladed point that sticks off of it and you can throw that thing and it, it sticks you know right. and then it's got you can flip it around and bring that point down and pop it right through the top of their head from pretty good <laughs> distance you know so it's i think that would probably be and it fits in my belt loop too that's and good. it's got a plastic uh, case that you could put over to protect it so the blade stays good and you don't cut yourself on it right. so i think i'd probably go with that if there was no ammo which i think it would be hard to find ammo and i don't have stockpiles of ammo yeah yeah yeah, that's a I good haven't thought of. I, I had to think about it a little bit. That's a know? good question. That's a good question. I, 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 mean, I cross crossbows would be great, but again, you got to have bolts, you know. And so, where do you get your bolts? And do you have them in advance? You know, right. these are all difficult things here. <laughs> yeah, inquiring minds want to know. 
right? That's a good okay, question, so though. I know it's an awesome question. Jay Ferguson, let's get to the, the meat of this one. Why is David Sherman so annoying and so awesome at the same time? And you said you had a good answer for that. I do. I, I have a real honest theory about that. It's because I think Dave is actually a very sensitive person and very compassionate. And I don't know his history, if he's always been that way, but you know, it might have something to do with, uh, he's a drug counselor now and, um, he had really serious drug problems. So, um, I think when you go through something like that, you, it, it, the, the, the good that comes out of that is you, you really learn compassion for people that are suffering, you know, when you suffer a lot yourself. So I think that, um, uh, that, is the reason he's such he's awesome because he has this real caring and compassion for people and he's annoying because I think it's just his sense of humor and I also think that sometimes people that are extra sensitive it's almost a way to uh, you know uh, rather than be hurt about something you you know you you start ragging on each other and make a big joke out of it instead of you know taking things to and it, not that it's a way to cover up sensitivity but but I think that a lot of a lot of people that are kind of you know like to like to um fling shit around for fun a, a lot of times that that is that can come from a kind of a compensation for actually how sensitive you are on the inside maybe <laughs> there you go straight from Shetzar's mouth but he D Dave's amazing and it's so funny because people that don't know him see him he'll say stuff like just so randomly say Chet Zar sucks or you suck or your artwork's terrible. And it's like people that don't know him get all pissed off sometimes. Yeah, right. They're like coming to defend But it's you. like, if you, if you know him, you just like this, he's like one of the coolest guys in the world. He's a super great person. And it's just, you know, we break each other's balls all the time. It's just like, you know, just what we do. And it's kind of just, a, kind of a guy thing, I think in a way, you know, well, I think that those are all really, really good reflections on David Sherman. <laughs> and David Sherman, in fact, in that thread had his own question. And this is actually fits right with your, your response. Are you ready for it? Okay. He says, maybe, what's the underlying psychology behind people being drawn to dark art? What a sensitive question to yeah, ask. That's, yeah. Um, maybe, wait, what's the question again? He says, maybe, what's the underlying psychology behind people being drawn to dark art? I mean, now my answer to this would be that you couldn't make a blanket generalization right. yeah. that each individual would be drawn for individualistic reasoning. But yeah, yeah. I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, I would agree. It's I think everybody comes to it for different reasons. But I think ultimately, and maybe it's just that I'd like to believe this, but I, I feel like from, from me and from you and people I know – they are coming at it and they are attracted to it because they have compassion for suffering and people. And it's, and it's like, it's so for people that, that are compassionate and sensitive to other people's suffering, it's really hard to take all the suffering in the world and, and, and take that in when you really stop and think of all the suffering in the world, it's like, it's hard to deal with. I feel that way anyway. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that the, that, that, um, expressing it and enjoying dark art is a way of somehow acknowledging it 
acknowledging that suffering exists in a way that, to where you don't actually have to really feel the the pain inside. It's a weird way of, you know, getting your pain out in a constructive way as well. I don't know. Each time you explain it, you you get better and better at it. Because I've been hearing you explain that now for many years. And really, it's like, you you know, you're honing and defining your explanation of it to a point where it's, it's quite salient. Oh, thank you. Well, it's, so, it's a weird, it's, it's, it's so, it's like the, the crux of the whole dark art issue. And it's such a, there's not like a definitive answer. Yeah. Yeah. That like, you know, there's definitive answers to all kinds of other stuff, especially, you know, why people like this or that or psychological issues. There's all kinds of mm -hmm. definitive answers, but for the dark art thing, it's like, it's, there's not really been a, any studies that I know of. It's, it's, we're all kind of guessing and trying to figure it out ourselves, you know? Pretty much. Yeah. yeah. Even just the other day on the Dark Art Society podcast on Facebook, uh, there was a message from somebody who was clearly foreign. I'm not sure where from, but you based on the way they wrote their mm -hmm. their word, words. And I and they, the question was, you know, what makes something dark art? You know, and right. so I had to come in and write an answer because, I mean, I have my thoughts on it. Yeah, you know, it's a great question. Yeah. yeah. So I went in there and I responded because, you know, it's like. It's important that, that, you know, we're advocating for this thing that's very slippery. And so it's very difficult to hold on to it. It's like a fish and it's, you know, mm -hmm. slipping and sliding, you know. But it's like we still have to keep making efforts towards explaining it both to ourselves and to others in such a manner that, as I, I noted with you, we get better at explaining yeah, it. Because yeah. that's the thing. That's the whole process is understanding something better leads to being able to explain it better. Right, right. Okay, well, let's move on now. David Powers, he says, thoughts on misperceptions on enlightenment, such as the concept of ego removal versus Carl Jung's individuation, integrate to transfigure, because we see a lot of fundamenta fundamentality even amongst Buddhists and spiritualists alike. Yeah, that was a good question. And he, he also elaborated on it, right? Uh, well, no, he and I just, he and I kind of went back and forth because I was, I was like, you know, good, good question. Right. And he was just basically looking for our reflections. Okay. On that. Uh, I would say, um, you know, I think we both agree with this because uh, I think it's true is that you cannot destroy the ego. You cannot, Indeed. it cannot not exist. It is, you know, it's part of being a human being in a body is having an ego. You can't not have an ego if you're a human. And, you need uh, it. Yeah. Too. And um, uh, I think people, maybe people that are, I don't know that I know any enlightened technically people, but I think if you get enlightened, it's more of knowing, just being aware of what the ego is rather than having it control you, mm -hmm. you know? And so the th I, I, do, I do think that the whole ego death concept really gets misunderstood. And, yes. uh, uh ego death is just a term for when you have that moment to where your ego has been broken down through some like a psychedelic experience or a traumatic experience or a lot of or getting super sick and yeah, right. <laughs> throwing up your guts for yeah, 48 yeah. hours <laughs> yeah yeah it's a temporary thing though and um you know it always comes back and you can't get rid of it so it's more like making peace with it um is the goal because since you can't you can't uh, get rid of it, you know? And, and so I, I, I just think it's, it's about using the ego and instead of it, con you know, controlling you basically, 
Mm-hmm. You know, because most, I think most people are controlled by their egos. And which, and the, and the ego also, because people think ego death and they're like, oh, it means don't be an asshole. You know, like don't do, right. don't do egotistical things to people. Yeah. That's, that's not yeah. what it is at all. Yeah. Um, that's just, well, a, I think that, that a big part of that is because people get hung up on those, that terminology from, from uh, Freudian you know, psychoanalysis, the idea of the id and the ego, mm-hmm. the superego. And the thing is, is we're not talking about the word ego in that particular context. That's right. not how we're referring to it yeah, here anyway. Yeah. It's well, the way we're referring to it is the ego is your idea of yourself, right? Your idea of who you think you are as Mike, the guy wearing the black, who likes to wear black shirts and weird pants and shaved his head and likes this kind of music all your tastes and stuff and, right. and and the idea being that your your true essence is beyond any kind of beyond any sort of binary thinking like that like yeah, i like so this and i don't like that yeah than that like God, that, that is like a kernel of what you really are <laughs> right it's it's a surface illusion that you are this it's not even what you really are what you really are is God, basically. Oh, shit. Okay, you talk about it for a second. I got to take this one more time. <laughs> Chet's just leaving us hanging here. Um, well, you know, I, I definitely agree with Chet. I mean, I think that the reality is, for us anyway, insofar as our perception is concerned, is that, you know, the ego is, in the context of how we're talking about it, something that is fundamentally necessary. It is something that is part of who we are and how we operate. So it, it's not something that you can just deny into non-existence. And it's not something Thing that you can kill. <laughs> it's something that, in fact, is, is part of our overall constitution. Um, and so, really, again, it, it comes back down to, as Chet said, that, that hot word, which is awareness. You know, what we ultimately need to garner for each of ourselves is, is a greater level of awareness of how we operate with each of our own individual egos. And as you gain that awareness of the way that your ego operates and the way that the relationship you have with it and the way that you talk with it, you can then alter the way that you behave, whether you choose to behave in accordance with it or not. So, all right. I talked about egos. Okay. Hey, let's move. What? Is there any chance that we can stop this for like 30 minutes and finish it? Well, how much, how long have we recorded? 53 minutes. So the episode's over, basically. Yeah, there's so <laughs> I mean, many good we're questions. At the hour. Okay. Well, we could do it. We could do another one. You know. Yeah, we we got to do a, a part two of it because I got all kinds of stuff going on here with the, right. uh, the, my time on uh, with the monster plus and my printer yes, dying. I understand. Things, everything's going crazy here. I understand. Don't worry about it. We're at 53 minutes. It could be a little bit short this week. That was a good one to end it on. And I just gave a whole spiel and you don't even know what I said. For all you know, I was like <laughs> razzing you up, down and left and right. right. It's beautiful in and that. of itself. <laughs> Okay, well, let's wrap it. Say, but, but let's read names because I keep fucking this up, oh, dude, yeah. and okay. not reading names, and it's not cool, and these people are paying us, so I'm going to make sure that happens really fast, and then you can go, okay? Okay, okay. So let's go back to the last one that we did. I have to look to see who the last person was that we stopped with. Okay, it looks like the last time we stopped with was Daniel Fisher Art. So d- thank you again, Daniel Fisher Art, and we'll go forward from there. We've got Peter Morbacher. He All added right. himself... So welcome, Peter. Thanks, We've got Pete. Dennis Keenan. 
here. And just in case if we miss mentioning these people's names on the other ones, I just want to go back a little bit farther and I just want to go ahead and give a shout out to Matt Huff, Ben Walling, Paul Gerard, Jonathan Michael Espinosa, Janelle Sweet, Nicole Cooney, and also the guys from Square Biz, which is Daryl Smith and uh, Christopher Witherspoon, who are the guys, the minds behind Twilight Hotel comic book that you're doing the cover for. So those are all our new people. Thank you so much for supporting the Dark Art Society podcast. You guys can find that at patreon.com forward slash dark art society. You guys can become a member for $1 a month and you get access to the secret cooperative group and pre-rolls and the mini podcast we haven't done for this month and all kinds of other amazing <laughs> rewards. Thank you so much though for listening and tuning in. Yes. And we, let's, we have a guest scheduled for next week. So maybe the following week we'll do, if you can, Q&A part two. Yeah, keep the, cause there was a bunch of good questions. I had actually, yeah, I had answers for, <laughs> I know? screenshotted all of it. So I'll just throw it into a file. Okay. Folder yeah. And it. just uh, maybe make a note of where we ended so that we can continue that. Big powers. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. Sorry to cut it short. I just it's it's a crazy week right now for me because I get this crazy convention happening and Mercury retrograde and all that. So, um, thank you for listening and thank you, Mike, for chatting. A pleasure. We'll catch you guys next week. All right. Thank you. Be creative. Yes. Bye bye. Peace. <laughs>